So over the weekend, as Donald J. Trump became the first sitting American president to actually visit North Korea, symbolically, really, as he, you know, stepped a few steps into North Korea and then held some private talks with um, Kim Jong-un in the demilitarized zone. Uh, This happening just a a week or so, I think it was, after we spoke with Anna Fifield for an extended period uh, during the Extra Large podcast uh, about North Korea and Kim Jong-un, her fabulous book, The Great Successor, The Divinely Perfect Destiny of Brilliant Comrade Kim Jong-un, is out now, and I am reading it uh, with great enjoyment. And Anna, who is the Washington Post-Beijing bureau chief, joins us now. Anna, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. So how significant was the president's visit to North Korea? Was it purely symbolism? Did it indicate anything? What's your take? Yeah, I mean, it was purely symbolism. But having said that, it also was significant in a way. So as you said, he just crossed the line. Uh, it was only a few steps. But it was a, a big deal in terms of trying to kickstart these talks that have, you know, fallen apart at the beginning of this year. So while it was all about show and very little substance, I think both Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump have shown that they want to resume these talks, that they want to find a way to work together. Uh, and so they've both told their officials to go away now and to figure out a way to make it happen. Uh, and that was, you know, needed the signal from the top there so from donald trump's perspective it was quite an easy way to kick out these talks he was in south korea anyway uh he was able to to go there to the dnc but just astonishing that on such short notice both of these leaders managed to to hold this meeting i'm sure their uh their aides were working frantically behind the scenes and, and stressed as can be if if you don't mind i'd like to hit you with a cynical view uh, and we can discuss that briefly, then a more opti- optimistic view. The cynical view being that uh, North Korea, going back two generations of Kim leaders, has alternated between making friendly, accommodating noises and then making hostile, hardcore negotiating noises, all designed to kick the can down the road, as they say, and to perpetuate or, or to buy themselves time to perpetuate their nuclear program. Might this not be just more of that? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, I don't for a second think that Kim Jong-un is giving up his nuclear weapons. I think he needs them. He feels like he needs them for his security. And I can't see a situation where he would feel comfortable with giving them up. Uh, So in that respect, it's the same old situation as it has been for decades. But in other respects, I think Kim Jong-un is a much bolder leader than his father ever was and somebody who's willing to take bigger risks, like Exhibit A, the fact that he went to the DMZ to meet Donald Trump on a moment's notice without his people being able to make all of the security arrangements that they ordinarily would do. Uh, because he is interested in this process, because he wants sanctions relief. So he is going to try to do just as much as he uh, needs to, to win sanctions relief from Donald Trump and hopefully get that economy moving a little bit inside North Korea. So between denuclearization and fire and fury, which is where we were in 2017, there is a lot of scope for some kind of change in there and maybe some kind of decrease in tensions and normalization of the relationship. Uh, Excellent. Anna Fifield is on the line. Her book is The Great Successor, Anna of the Washington Post. And 
what I'd really like to do now is imagine a more positive future, as you just hinted at. North Korea with nuclear arms, which is their assurance that they will not be removed from power, but willing to talk about a permanent peace treaty, expanded trade, that sort of thing. Knowing what you know about Kim Jong-un, might he be the leader to usher that new era in? Well, I think I mean, he does want a peace treaty. The Korean War continues to the technically to this day. And so I think he, I mean, also the South Koreans, also the Chinese, uh, all see a need to end this war and to, for once and for all. So I think there is quite common, a sense of common purpose there. But um, having said, you know, that he is interested in economic development, there is a limit in that. Because Kim Jong-un knows that if he was to open up the country to foreign investment and to real economic reform, that he would probably not survive as the leader of North Korea. So he wants to allow just enough uh, foreign investment and trade uh, coming into North Korea to improve the economy, but without letting in big floods of information that could destabilize his rule. Because he knows that if the people of North Korea were going to hear about the truth of the outside world, that he would you know, find it very difficult to be- continue to make the case that he is the best guy for the job of running this country. It's hard to imagine that the hermit kingdom continues to be that sort of regime this far into the information age and beyond. But, but I, I see your point. I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, they have survived this long by cutting off all access to the outside world. And to this day, you know, there is no Internet in North Korea. Uh, All foreign media is illegal and banned. But it is, you know, trickling across. There's a lot of South Korean movies and dramas that have made it into North Korea. But still, you know, Kim Jong-un will tolerate that, but he won't tolerate more political kind of news or, you know, the truth about the fact that, yeah, he was not this quasi-deity born into this, uh, you know, holy regime, that he is uh, there, you know, because of this totalitarian system that his grandfather set up. Anna Fifield is the Washington Post-Beijing Bureau Chief. She is also the author of The Great Successor, The Divinely Perfect Destiny of Brilliant Comrade uh, Kim, uh, which is a terrific read. Anna, thank you so much for the time. Uh, we appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Anna. They're uh, via Skype, I think, from Beijing. Uh, so uh, one of my favorite books of all time about politics is The Dictator's Handbook by Bruce Bueno de Mesquita. Um, and uh, and what's his co-author's name? It's hard enough to remember the one. Uh, Alistair Smith. Um one of the points they make, and, and listen, the stuff of the movies, you you think about a regime like North Korea, you got a, a, a dictator, you got the starving people in the countryside, and they have no rights, and their lives are miserable. You literally have kids fighting over a grain of corn that they pluck out of cow poo. Um, they're that hungry. Well, one of the points that the authors of the Dictator's Handbook make is that in in spite of the idea you might get from dramatic movies, um, starving people almost never uh, make for good revolutionaries. Because, number one, they are quite literally too hungry. They don't have the energy. And, number two, they are so close to the old uh, dividing line between life and death. If the regime squeezes them just a little bit, they'll go away. 
And so you become compliant. You become terrified. It's like the the uh, the Stockholm syndrome. You just you're so desperate to please your captor that you make a, a poor revolutionary. But y- you know what I'm talking about, right? In the age of the internet and thumb drives and 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 you know everything that's on the internet and how easy it is to transport information. How can you continue to keep a people? completely ignorant of the outside world or enough of them ignorant of the outside world that you don't have a revolution on your hands or just massive defections. Um, and, and I get what she was saying. If they uh, liberalize economically much at all, that knowledge of the outside world will become an overwhelming force. But then, you know, you look next door at China. Uh, China's got a heck of a lot more awareness of the outside world than the average North Korean, but they can't get anything done in terms of democratization. In fact, they're going in the other direction these days. Um, you know, listen, they're, they're, they're socialist-y policies, then there's socialism and there's communism, which is its close cousin, but I'm reminded of the saying uh, that I've uh, become enamored with lately. You can vote in socialism, but you have to shoot your way out of it um, because control is control. Wow. Sobering stuff, but uh, maybe slightly better days on the Korean Peninsula. We shall see. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Amazon is not the worst actor in this industry. They generally don't subcontract out their warehouses, and they made headlines last year for raising workers' base pay to $15 an hour. But being not the worst is a low, low bar, and they have huge influence here. When Amazon announced earlier this year that they'd be making one-day shipping standard for Prime members, Walmart immediately hinted that it would do the same. Basically, Amazon is the industry trendsetter. They're the Michael Jackson of shipping. They're the best at what they do, Everyone tries to imitate them, and nobody who learns a third thing about them is happy that they did. That's a, uh, that's a bit of a stretch, but I like a good metaphor. Very nice. So, listen. Uh, here at the Radio Ranch, there's a challenge with the air conditioning system. We have reliable air conditioning less often than Venezuela. Which is... Uh, not impressive, really, in the United States of America. It's quite astounding, honestly. It's out this year so far, the the warm part of the year. What percentage of the time has there been a chunk of the Radio Ranch that has not had air conditioning? It's like a third of the time, right? Or maybe half? I was going to say 35%. Because there was that long period. And listen, uh, I know some of your, like, have lost a loved one recently, or you're, you're going through chemo or, or dialysis or something like this, and you have real problems. But these are my problems. Big, big wreck on the highway on my way in. Turns out there's a fatality. I'm very, very sorry to see that. But so as I'm sitting in the pre-dawn traffic, which never exists, 
I get a text from Jack saying he's too sick to come in, which is good, finally. He's got to be about dead before he comes in. Before he doesn't come in, rather. He'll come in when he's sick as hell and everybody around him is mad at him for coming in. Especially, you know, the folks with little kids. Um, but so he finally doesn't come in. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, that'll be a challenge. Because, you know, frankly, we each do half a half a job. <laughs> now i got to do the whole thing. That's fine. That's no problem, I said to myself. No. And, oh, boy, this traffic. I wonder why all those brake lights are ahead. Ah, that's all right. Okay. And I get here, and it's it's like uh, uh, the jungles of Saigon in the studio. And it's not a big problem. I've been sweaty before. I'll be sweating again. I was a little sweaty over the weekend. But it doesn't help, you know? It kind of raises the I'm not in a good mood level by just enough to, like, little problems seem a little bigger and... It's like the wet socks or the pebble in the shoe. Like it's, yes. it's, it's just enough to go. Yeah, wet socks. Oh, I hate you even using that phrase. <laughs> wet socks are so bad. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to sweat. That's what you're going to do. Um, oh, but what was I going to say? Sweat. What is it? The wither. And then you get to him in a car wreck. I can't even remember. I'm too hot to think. Oh, yeah, I remember back then. You remember when that Guns, Germs, and Steel book was so popular? Everybody's reading that. All your smart people were talking about it, and it's on the TV. And I read it, and I thought, this book's a piece of crap. <laughs> you know, it, it made some good points, but the guy just, no, he was wrong. He was wrong about a lot of things. And it was a, you're perfect, you know, you build this academic, like, framework of your theory. And then you spend all sorts of time and energy and sweat backing it up. And I just thought it was bad in ways that, you know, if you read, read it recently, you might find interesting. But for the rest of us, never mind, I'll just skip past it. But the guy had all sorts of complicated reasons why the Northern Hemisphere in Europe was much more successful than like your uh, your your equatorial areas, and it had to do with guns and germs and steel. And I read this thinking, dude, here's your number one influencer of economic development and science and commerce and every measure of human progress. How hot is it there? In your places where it tends to be chilly, or at least you know moderate to chilly, a significant portion of the year. People are like crazy productive. And in places where it's hot and humid, they ain't. And any human being who's really spent a few years on the earth and has the powers of observation knows why. If you're chilly, you get busy to stay warm. And if you're hot and sweaty, you stay still to stay cool. It's as simple as that. We keep it bitterly cold in the studio. Like you gotta clap your hands together to keep the finger, the feeling in your fingers. Why? Because you can't possibly be sweaty. And it just kind of keeps you in a better frame of mind. I remember, you know, I grew up in Chicagoland where it's, it's very cold in the wintertime, obviously. And, um, and, and the winters are just so long. It's not about the cold. It's about the length. By the end of March, you're just desperate. Desperate for a flower to bloom, that smell of the soil melting. But anyway, um, you just you stay busy and you want to get after it. And, and you get hit with that cold when you walk out your front door. Or at the end of the day, you walk out into the dark streets with the wind blowing. That wind hits you and you're like, whoo! But it makes you feel alive. 
Man, you walk out of the, your door in, in Charleston, South Carolina in August, you wish you were dead. It's the opposite. You think, oh, no, what is going on? The Earth is tilted out of its orbit. It is plummeting toward the sun or something. What's going on? Or Phoenix. Oh, my God. Phoenix in the summertime. You walk out your front door, and it feels like you just opened your oven. Oppressive heat. Right. As I've often said, and I will stand by these words, it feels like something has gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like in a planetary way. It like, a, yeah, like you woke up on Mercury. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it's, it's damned hot in the studio right now. But what are you going to do? Those of you who are suffering through real problems, God bless you. Our heart goes out to you, and we'll, we'll sweat and think of you and, and be glad that, uh, you know, so far that, uh, you know, that has not happened to us. Although, you know, it's one of the wiser things I've ever heard. And in a weird way, it applies to the political violence in Portland, in the Antifa and the beatings and the milkshakings and the head smashings and the rest of it. Is everyone you meet, everyone you meet every single day is either suffering, somebody they love very much is suffering, or they will be suffering very, very soon. So have a little compassion, people. Have a little kindness, huh? Here's a kind man, Marshall Phillips. Marshall, what are our headlines? We got protesters in Hong Kong now taking over the main government building. The Dems double down on free health care for illegals. Oh, Stories God. coming up. That's suicide. Political suicide. Armstrong and Getty. Let's take a look at the headlines of the day. Oh, uh, before we get to that, oh, yeah. my gosh. You remember old Marianne Williamson from the debates? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, the, the so, Mr. President, if you're listening. <laughs> All right, her. The self-help. There group. is great Marianne Williamson news to report. Really? Oh, it's hilarious. All right. Yes, stay tuned. Right now, Marshall has the real news. Boy, I got to tell you, things are just exploding in Hong Kong. Thousands of protesters there marking the anniversary of the return to Chinese rule by storming the legislature today. They used a metal cart, they used poles, scaffolding to slam into the building's reinforced glass, which finally broke. They really have only those yellow umbrellas for protection. They are just storming in. The protesters have managed to take over a legislative chamber. They're paint-spraying slogans on the wall and over the territory's emblem. They have managed to take over that legislative chamber. The police are warning the protesters to stop before they start to move in. The vibe is chillingly like Tiananmen Square. Uh, obviously, there are significant differences. Hong Kong is a great deal more free and independent for now than than central China was, central Beijing. Right. Uh, but this is definitely one of those unstoppable object meeting, uh, un, uh, or I'm sorry, unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. Right. The fevered will of the Hong Kongers against the communist Chinese, utter unwillingness to, to bend in a significant way. I don't know where this ends. It would be a hell of a move for Beijing to order massive arrests and or a slaughter on the scale of Tiananmen Square. But something's got to give. My guess would be old uh, Xi, President Xi of China. My guess is he gives for now and he continues to work in 
uh, more covert, insidious ways to grab the reins of power, right. to continue to identify anybody who could conceivably be uh, identified as a uh, leader of the protest and, and start letting those people know we're on to you and we're going to hurt you. Um, and, and, you know, he has the advantage of having a hundred year uh, plan, but we'll see. Something's got to give. Yeah, some of the leaders of the protest may be walking down the sidewalk one day, and then, oops, they're not there anymore. Right, exactly, know? yeah. Well, and and it's political theorists, those of us who are really into this, will no. tell you, you just make so many things a crime that you can find everybody guilty of something. And once you can brand somebody as a criminal, well, people think, well, I don't care about them, they're a criminal. Right, right. And, and so then they get snatched off the streets or trumped up charges or what have you. All right, and another issue, former HUD Secretary and 2020 Presidential Hopeful Julian Castro made the rounds of the weekend news shows. Oh, oh, oh i got to check my stock on Julian Castro. All right. Because I'm on the, the Predict It uh, website, and I invested some serious United States currency. Predict It is essentially yeah. penny stocks for fantasy football players who want to do so in politics. Well described, Positive Sean. Ooh, Kamala is up. I've made a few dollars on that. Where is Julian? Oh, uh, yes. Uh-oh, he's in the, uh, you got to expand the screen. Oh, he's back up to four cents. I think I'm even on him. All Go right. on, Marshall, please. <laughs> anyway, but enough of my problems. Anyway, Castro saying immigrants deserve better than deportation raids. He was on CNN, State of the Union, a number of other shows saying the community of both documented and undocumented immigrants have helped the country move forward and as for free medical care for illegals castro said we already pay for the health care of undocumented immigrants it's called the emergency room he went on to add we're not going to let people living in this country um, die because uh, they can't see a doctor that's not who we are and uh, he said pretty much the same thing on a number of the shows over the weekend, doubling down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ability of the Democratic candidates to pivot back toward the sane center in the general election, yeah. I wonder about, because Trump will absolutely hammer them with free medical care for illegals, free medical insurance for illegals, right. over and open borders. And, uh, man, if he can make that stick, uh, that is going to turn off a tremendous number of people. Now, in your uh, your little uh, wagering pool, anybody got Joe Biden? Anybody got uh, Biden at all? Uh, no, no Biden, uh, Biden will do nothing but sink. Yeah, um, you're buying at the top if you're buying in on Biden at this point. That yeah. is my opinion. Yeah. It really is. I'm up $2.50, by the way. Joe Biden is a dummy. I, Overall? Yes. Okay. All right. Not bad. Yes. Yes. It was not a great... Lobsters tonight, honey. It was not a great night of debating, as you know, for the former vice president last week. In fact, the support among likely Democratic voters plummeted after his performance. His numbers dropped 10 points from 41.5% to 31.5%, according to a morning consult poll. You know, I've been going up against the conventional wisdom on Biden from the beginning, and the reasons are very simple. He's run for president a couple of times, and he's not very good at it. Right. He says dumb stuff. He says stuff that are not quite what he meant to say. His record is very long, and it's so easy to be a Kamala Harris and self-righteously hint that Joe Biden was some sort of anti-bussing Bull Connor racist, which nothing could be more ridiculous. He was against a particular sort of forced bussing. Um, and and uh, she's brilliant. I mean, as a politician, she's smarter than I thought she was. 
because, you know, I was that little girl. That was a voluntary busing program in Berserkly, California. Um, and, and just, it, you know, it was, I guess it was sort of kind of related to what Joe Biden was talking about 40 years ago, but right. only kind of. But she pinned him with being an anti-busing uh, bigot. Yeah. Which is absurd with Joe Biden. But And he was not, and this astonishes me, he wasn't ready for it. No, everybody uh-uh. knew she was going to go after him over yeah. that, and he was not ready. Man, he's just not good at this. And that was the first debate. Right, right, right. And he's he's old as the hills. Meanwhile, you've got an investment in uh, Kamala. Well, she got a nice bump in this poll. She's now in third place. She uh, she went up by six percentage points among the Democratic field. My stock should have risen more than that. Buy, buy Kamala Harris. So she she leapfrogged uh, Mayor Pete there and is behind Bernie and Biden. Is that how it breaks down? In Predictit.org, which has yeah. the wisdom of the crowd behind it, All right. people who are actually thinking about this a lot, reading about this a lot, listening, whatever, and then putting their money down, she's the top. Mm-hmm. She passed Biden. Yep. Warren is one cent behind Biden. Yeah. So one percent, if you like. Anyway, in this particular poll, the uh, the uh, consult poll, Bernie Sanders is in second place at 19%. Then you've got Kamala, and uh, Kamala's now tied with Elizabeth Warren in this particular poll. Okay. So she has bounced up. Warren is kind of, and Bernie and Warren are kind of staying steady. Meanwhile, Bernie and Warden, Warren rather, yes. are way too far left. Yeah. And I think the uh, Democratic electorate knows it. So to me, it's Kamala and Biden, and Biden's, well, Biden's a dummy. Yeah, Biden took another hit. He lost, according to none other than the President of the United States. Biden took another hit. He lost a key contributor to his campaign after the debate. Tom McInerney informed Biden's team last week he can no longer back his campaign. He'd been a big fundraiser for Joe Biden. Meanwhile, South Bend Mayor Pete raised nearly $25 million during the second quarter of this year. 290,000 individual donors. That was a big, big intake. I don't think little Pete's going to go anywhere, but he, uh, I could see him being a Veep choice. Maybe. He's just a kid, but... I keep hearing sharp young man. I keep hearing people saying, "Oh, it'd be great, Kamala Harris and Mayor Pete. What a what a combo!" They got a point. Yeah. All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Hey, Sean, do we have any of those wacky uh, Marianne Williamson clips from last week, Candy? Can you dig those up? Maybe in the next couple of minutes. There's some really funny Marianne Williams news out. Uh, plus, did you hear about the gal banned from Walmart in Texas? Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Uh, Good stuff to come. Hope you can hang around. Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and, sir, love will win. Marianne Williamson, Democratic candidate for the presidency. Where the hell did that come from? Everyone feels on some level like an alien in this world, because we are. 
We come from another realm of consciousness and long for home. I like this one. You're not the water. You're the faucet. You're not the electricity. You're the lamp. You're not the light. You're the torchbearer. Turn on the faucet. Turn on the lamp. Hold high the torch, and God will do the rest. Don't hold high the torch too high if you're indoors or your ceiling will catch fire. Sounds like some dangerous mixing of water and electricity there. and Right, the, and the fire. To- torches and the don't do well under faucets. Yeah, and, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Yin is feminine. Earth, yang is masculine. Sky. When God is seen as he, the soul is seen as she. Just archetypes. Spirit. Impregnate soul. Oh, let's get it on. So anyway. That's Marianne Williamson, who was uh, one of the quirky stars of the debate. And on Friday, though, her Democratic debate stage performance drew applause, ridicule, and confusion. On Friday, she was attracting big-time donations from Republicans. The guy who ran Ted Cruz's uh, presidential campaign managed to lose that one. But he tweeted out to his uh, tens of thousands of followers asking Republicans to donate $1 or more to keep this vibrant Democrat on the debate stage. One one debate performance is not enough. So since the the folks, the Democrats, have to have a certain amount of uh, fundraising and support uh, to make the second debate, um, I, I don't know if she'll make it high enough in the polls. But I would encourage you, if you have a sense of humor, to go to Marianne2020.com. Use your burner email address. We all have one. And if you don't, you should. Donate $2, $5, 10 if you can. And if any pollster ever calls you and asks who you support, say Marianne Williamson, please. Get her on the stage one more time. Do we have any more clips, Sean? Please give me just a little more. But you get one shot that it may be the only thing you get oh, past. Shut up, Chuck Todd. We, we want to hear Marianne. Hold on. My Someone first last call word. is to Prime Minister of New Zealand, who said that her goal is to make New Zealand the place where it's the best place in the world for a child to grow up. And I will tell her girlfriend you are so wrong, because the United States of America is going Thanks. to be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. Ms. You know, Wow, so tap dancing on New Zealand's t- chest. Uh, listen, hey, can we post her website at armstrongandgetty.com? We'll do that in the next few minutes uh, so you can just go quickly and donate two, three, four, five bucks there. I think that's a hilarious idea. And one final Marianne Williamson thought, Imagine every war zone invaded by legions of angels. All of a sudden, no one can even imagine hurting another human being. Well, that's a nice thought. If you find that thought comforting, well, A, you're a soft head, and B, uh, uh, you're a soft head. That ain't got nothing to do with reality. Then she says, for some reason, dear God, please post angels around all nuclear reactors in Japan and elsewhere. Amen. And then she quotes the Talmud, the ancient book of Jewish wisdom. Over every blade of grass. The music just appears anytime you start saying her I tweets. It's, I, I, it's amazing, isn't it? I think there may be an angel poised, poised over me. Over every blade of grass, there is an angel bent over, whispering, Grow! 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 Somebody needs to explain photosynthesis to angels. The grass will be fine. A little water, 
you know, decent soil, a little sunlight. Yeah. I wish an angel would speak to my grass and tell the weeds, stop growing, <laughs> stop growing. Maybe smite the dandelions. So back in 2016, she tweeted about the death of singer George Michael. Wake me up before you go, go. I hope angels are singing to George Michael in heaven as beautifully as he sang to us. Praise and thanks for what he gave while here. Well, he gave various services to fellows in the back of a van in a park and got arrested for it, but yeah. We all have our uh, our, our, our less than... Uh, he made some good music, too. Ideal moments. Right, yeah, exactly. Come on. He's enjoying his time off. Let's see, how about one? Well, that's about swine flu. Oh, this was <laughs> back in 2010. Was that when the, uh, the, the big oil spill happened in the Gulf? I think it was. Sounds about right. Visualize the oil spill plugged. Close your eyes for five minutes and see angels coming over it, filling it with sane and sacred thoughts. I can imagine the the oil well engineers out there. Hey, get those sane and sacred thoughts over here, stat. We got to plug this thing. Quirky gal, donate. Donate generously. So speaking of uh, quirky gals, you get your uh, Wichita Falls, uh, Texas Police Department responding to Walmart. This gal goes into the store, stand, uh, buys buys a cake, buys a, a cake uh, there at the Walmart bakery. She stands there and eats half the cake. <laughs> okay, I mean you got a real princess already, right? She stands there in the bakery section, eats half the damn cake, then proceeds to the register, where she informs the checker, Hey, half this cake's missing. I need a 50% discount. Now, listen. I don't want to take the fun out of this. I don't know if this gal's like special needs or something. None of the news accounts say she is. So I, I I don't know. But there she stands at the checkout stand with half a cake, with icing all over her face, probably still spitting crumbs out while she speaks, asking for a 50% uh, discount. Uh, shockingly, the good folks at the Walmart said, no, that's that's not going to happen, sweetheart. In fact, in fact, do us a favor. Pay for the half you already ate, and if you want the rest of it, take you home. Take it home with you. You're going to have to pay us for the rest of it. Well, she refused, and uh, she was banned uh, from the Walmart for life. They did not charge her with a crime, illegal cake eating. Oh, which doesn't surprise me at all. Oh my gosh, we got this email from a, a fellow who works in retail. The extent to which your blue states like Corruptifornia, Cal Unicornia, have. Uh, decriminalized crime are astounding this will shock you seriously well and we'll get to that in a few minutes but um so she's been banned from walmart for life it was only a few months ago that uh, somebody else was banned from the very same walmart and that was uh a woman who was riding along in one of those electric carts uh crashing into things drinking wine from a pringles can now i'm thinking the wine's gonna be a little salty if you pour it in a Pringles can, right? Sometimes you pair wine with salty meats. Yeah, that's true. 
You want a nice hearty wine. I mean, you generally don't put them in the same container and shake them well, around. You don't salt your wine, though, to make it, I don't know. Um, they found her at a nearby restaurant with the cart, drunk on her Pringles wine, and they banned her from the Walmart as well. Listen, I'm not, I'm no elitist. I don't hang with the Rockefellers. You know, I'm, I'm no Wall Street billionaire. But if you're getting banned from the Wally, you got to take a look at yourself. I mean, if they say to you, you're not good enough to walk into a Walmart. It's not a sign that your life is on track. Right. Like, all right, everything according to plan, got the lifetime Walmart ban check on to the next thing on my to-do list. Ooh, wow. Yeah, you, you know, uh, there's an old expression that you can uh, kind of judge where you are by the company you keep. I'm not sure it's entirely true, but... Um, if the shoppers of Walmart have declared you persona non grata, uh, you just you really got to take a hard look at yourself. Who maybe finish the cake, then take a hard look at yourself. If they're non grata, who says you're grata? What? Um, if it's like your chocolate chocolate cake, I could do it some fairly serious damage standing there in the Walmart, <laughs> and she'd had to be eaten with her hands, right? Unless she brought silverware with her, which seems unlikely to me. Man, that's not a good look, baby. Pay for the whole cake and go home, sit there, watch your stories, eat it, and enjoy. A little you time. Armstrong and Getty.